I think if you ask anybody to describe a relationship, they're going to describe it a multitude of different ways. Some people might say, well, I've had three conversations with the individual. We have a relationship. Some people might say, well, we have a relationship because we went on a trip together or we have a relationship because we work together. It's very subjective. But I'm going to tell you right now how salespeople build relationships. They got it all wrong. That's Dan talking about relationships. Over the last few episodes, we've been talking about prospecting. Everybody talks about trying to build a mutually beneficial relationship, whether it's on LinkedIn or an email solicitation. In this conversation with Dan, we're diving deep into what a relationship actually is and how, without even realizing it, you could be building negative relationships with your prospects. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales a non-conformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lapa 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. We're gonna talk about relationships and we're gonna talk about them from a couple different perspectives. We're gonna talk about where they originate from, why they originate from there, but we're also gonna talk about two specific things that you can set as your goals that will have an immediate impact on how your prospect or client defines the relationship with you. So I'm gonna share the goals first. The number one goal that you should have for any conversation is to learn. Your number one goal should be learn because the more you learn, the more you understand from that prospect or client. The more you understand their biases, their fears, their uncertainties, the more you'll understand how they'll debate and their ability to debate this idea of doing change with you. So your number one goal should be to learn. That serves you and your prospect. Here's the second goal. The second goal you should have for any conversation with a prospect or a client should be to help that prospect or client evaluate and potentially reevaluate what they're doing. That should be your goal for the prospect because that prospect is spending time with you. And if you want to create value for that prospect, the best way to create value isn't to give your marketing message or deliver your value proposition. It's to help that prospect as best as you can objectively debate and evaluate what they're currently doing. Could it be better? That's what a consultant and advisor does. So two goals. One, your goal is to learn. Two, help that prospect evaluate and reevaluate what they're doing and if it could be better. In order to do that, you've got to get really, really good at listening and asking questions. So let's break that down now on how that impacts the types of relationships that you're building. Kylie, how would you define a relationship? That's tough, Dan. I feel like there are different types and levels of relationships that come to mind for me. There's people that I consider acquaintances. I know them professionally or have met them at networking events. There's people I call my friends. There's different levels of friends because there's some friends that I trust with my life. And then there's other friends that I just like to socialize with. 
And then there's family relationships. And again, different levels. So I don't know. That's a complex question. I don't know that there's one defining moment where you say, I think we've arrived at a relationship now. How do you feel about all of those, we're going to call them sales gurus out there? Oh, boy. <laughs> that seem to have the secret sauce to building long-standing relationships. How do you feel about their approach? It seems very superficial to me and inauthentic, and there's no secret sauce to relationships other than being, I think, authentic and genuine. What about talking about the weather or maybe talking about a common college or university that you may know someone at or maybe a common club or some community event? How about that for building a relationship? Again, I feel like it's only going to go so far. It's so superficial. And it's it's like the low-hanging fruit. You couldn't have picked an easier, safer topic to ask me about than something that you got from a social media profile. If you had to define, Dan, what is a relationship? How do you break that down? The relationship that you have with someone is going to be defined by the experiences that you've had with them, first and foremost. Those experiences, now here's the key part, those experiences are now defined by the conversations that you're having with that person. So let's think about it. If you think about all the people in your life, you're out there having conversations with family and friends, coworkers, etc. If you have a good, positive feeling conversation with someone, that is a good experience, you are more than likely going to label that relationship as good. It's vice versa. If you have a negative or a bad conversation or interaction with someone, you are more than likely going to define that relationship in a negative way. Both of the definitions, though, originate from the conversations that you're having. And so that's what drives the definition of the relationship. But there's one more piece to it that I know some in our audience, some of our listeners understand. And this is the most important part is your mindset. It's so important to think about. At the end of the day, your relationships are from your experiences, which come from the conversations that you have and the conversations that you have come from your mindset. So like when I think about it, right, when we go into a call and when our listeners, when you go into a call, and you want to be very aware of your mindset, the ultimate goal that you should have in that call, in that conversation, is to learn. Because if you make that simple goal of learning the ultimate objective of your process during the conversation, it's going to impact how you listen and what you ask. Can you share some examples? A prospect might share something negative with you oh, we've tried something like that before. It didn't work for us. Oh, we've looked into that before. It, it, it wasn't the right timing and it's still not the right timing. A lot of salespeople will hear that and they'll get frustrated or they'll feel disappointment because it's something they didn't want to hear. And they didn't want to hear it because it becomes a barrier to them reaching the ultimate goal of getting maybe a second meeting or a sale. In that instance, if your mindset is, I'm here to learn, and when you hear someone say, that's not for us. We've tried something like that before. 
It's about asking more questions to understand what is it that you tried? Why did you try it? What worked? What didn't? Did you look at other options? You can't come up with all those questions unless your thought process is, I'm here to learn. If you go with the sales mindset and you hear, that's not for us, we've tried something like that before, that sales mindset's going to create this desire for you to try to prove why your service is different than what they tried before or defend why your service might be a better option this go around. And so now you're just creating a sales conversation because you had a sales mindset. So then you create a sales experience, which is exactly how that prospect will leave the meeting when they think about the relationship with you. Now, the flip side is if the prospect shares something positive. Like here's a great example. If your ultimate goal is to learn and you make that the goal of the conversation and that prospect turns to you at some point and says, that was really interesting. Haven't heard something like that before. You're immediately going to ask, okay, share more. You know, what makes it interesting? Or what did you just connect? You're going to go another layer or two deeper in your questions. However, if you have that sales mindset that we often talk about, and the prospect says to you, that's interesting. We haven't heard that before. The sales mindset feels the immediate gratification of, oh, they like that. And so the sales mindset jumps in maybe with another fact, another feature, another benefit, or doubling down on it because they want to hear more about why the prospect liked it because they hope it leads to the sale. But they're not asking any questions and they're not learning. Dan, how would you want your prospects to describe their interactions or conversations with you? So I would want my prospects to define the relationship with me or the conversation with me as challenging, but in a positive way. And what I mean by that is I help them think. So whether they entered the meeting with me or not, ready to spend energy thinking through what they do and why they do it, I would want them leaving the meeting with me, having invested that energy, thinking through what they're doing and why they're doing it. I'd want them to define the relationship or the conversation as it was worthwhile. For our listeners out there, I want you to think about this. I know you spend a lot of time thinking about your definition and your perspective about how the relationship is with your prospects and clients. You should take some time and flip it and think about what do you think or how do you think the prospect would define the relationship with you? So that if your prospect just left the conference room with you, and you walked out the door, and that prospect of yours walked back into another meeting, and one of their coworkers asked them, how was the experience? What was it like? How do you think your prospect would define that? That's something for all of our listeners to be thinking about, because that's what's important. How does your prospect interpret or perceive the relationship with you? So Dan, if you had to articulate what makes the conversation good, and what makes a conversation bad? Can we start with the good? Yeah, we can, Kylie, but we have to look at it from both perspectives. So what I mean by that is how I look at the conversation as good is going to be different more than likely than how the prospect looks at the conversation as good. So I would look at a conversation as good twofold. Number one, I learned a lot. That's most important. 
The second way I would define the conversation as good is I help the prospect evaluate and reevaluate what they were doing and why they were doing it that way. That's how I would define a good conversation. It has nothing to do whether I get a second meeting, they ask for a proposal, or if they liked me. Now, the prospect though, think about it from their perspective. How does your prospect look at good? A, we don't know how they're showing up. Are they really open to having a change conversation with you? Are they really showing up, ready to be truly objective about their business? Or are they showing up with biases? Or are they showing up maybe to check the box? Or are they showing up just with a little bit of curiosity about what's out there? The challenge is we don't know how your prospect's showing up. But if you think about good from their perspective, do you think good is that they learned a lot of the features and benefits about your service or your product? Or do you think good in their perspective would be they were able to evaluate and debate if they were on the right path and what was working and what wasn't working? And they were able to get a little more clarity on where they were within their business. Which way do you think your prospects would define good? A, they heard a lot about your services, or B, they spent the energy and the time truly evaluating what they were doing. On the flip side of this, what constitutes a bad conversation? And maybe you take it from the the salesperson perspective and the prospect point of view as well. I'll start with the sales because as I describe it, hopefully for our listeners, they'll see it's irrelevant. And what I mean by that is if, if you're in sales mode and you're going in as a salesperson, you're naturally going to define the conversation as bad because either A, the prospect didn't like you or B, they didn't show any commitment to want to meet again or maybe even C, they just thanked you for your time. Most salespeople with that sales mindset are going to define a conversation as bad in any one of those areas. What's more important, though, is how does the prospect define bad? The prospect is no different than any one of us. None of us want to be proven to. None of us want to be persuaded or convinced. None of us want someone sitting in front of us spending their time trying to convince us to do something that we may not be ready to do. Your prospects are no different. So how your prospect is going to define a conversation as bad is quite simple. You spent your time in front of them trying to prove your services and why your services were better and why they might need their services. You spent your time trying to find their pain and then trying to rub their nose in their own pain. Because both of those avenues serve you and your need to make the sale. So innately, your prospect is going to define that conversation, that experience, and that relationship as bad. We've gone pretty deep on this topic so far. This is a big concept. And I want to take it a step further because you mentioned something earlier about helping your prospect think through something, reevaluate if they're ready to do something differently. You also mentioned helping them based on where their mindset is and are they even ready? How do you determine where the prospect is and how they're coming into the meeting? There are ways that you can determine how the prospect is coming into the meeting. 
when you ask a question, right, does the prospect give you surface level or half-assed answer? That tells you right away that they're not ready to commit the energy and to do the thinking necessary to answer your question. Now, that might be because they're not sure what you're going to do with the answer, which is part of that whole trust equation. But when you get surface level answers, that tells you your prospect's not ready to be vulnerable or even consider or think through options for improvement, let alone change. The other way you can pick up whether your prospect is ready to invest that type of thinking and evaluate or debate what they're doing is just by their body language too, Um, their eye contact. If they get a lot of eye contact with you, it's a good sign that they're thinking that you've pulled them in, they're engaged. If they sit back in their chair, fold their arms, that's a great signal that they're not ready. They're unsure if they want to invest the time and the energy that you're asking for in that conversation. If they lean forward, That might indicate that that's something that they are willing to talk about. So body language also has a lot to do with it. Dan, you mentioned that there are different levels of answers that people give to questions. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, think about it. You know, we talked about when the prospect gives surface level answers. There's a lot of reasons why that will happen. It could be because they don't trust you and they don't trust what you're going to do with their answers. They're not ready to make an investment in the conversation like that. Their biases are getting in the way. There's a whole mess of things that can cause that to happen. The different levels of answers that you get, I think, can really be summed up with three levels. The first level is obviously the politically correct level, the surface level. It's the easy level. Let me give enough so that I'm being polite and kind and I can get through this conversation. All right. Number two is a little bit more in depth and it's called honest answers. And honest answers are very important, but remember, honest answers don't necessarily invite you in. So, you know, a prospect can say to you, hey, that's an area that I know we need to improve. That is a very honest answer. And I'm sure as one of our listeners, you feel good when you hear that type of answer, but it's not inviting you in. It's just telling you, yes, that's an area that they can improve. A vulnerable answer is when they would say to you, Yes, that's an area that we can improve, and here's why we need to improve it. And then they give you the depth. They give you the why behind they feel that way. That's vulnerability. And so the three different levels, politically correct, surface level, honesty, and vulnerability. And in any conversation, I think it's very obvious, we want to try to create a conversation atmosphere and experience where that prospect feels they can be vulnerable with us. You mentioned the prospect doesn't know what you're going to do with their answer, Dan. What does that mean? The prospect, like we all do, I mean, think about this way. You as a listener, if I was in a one-on-one with you right now, as I am like sometimes with Kylie, and I'm asking a question, human nature is probably to say, why is Dan asking? Where is he going to go with that? What's he going to do with the information? And the reason why we do that is because we're trying to determine is our answer going to be used against us? Will our answer harm us because it's going to put us in a position where we have to defend something because someone's going to try and now sell us something? Or is it going to help us 
because it's going to help us gain a little bit more clarity on what we could maybe improve or get better at without feeling the weight of someone trying to sell us at the same time. That's that harm and help. And so prospects do the same thing that we do. They're trying to determine if an answer is going to be used against them, which is that natural human instinct of, is this going to harm me or help me if I'm honest? Is this going to harm me or help me if I'm vulnerable? I'm going to add to those two things. As the conversation continues, the depth of the questions that your prospect asks you in return can often signal the commitment now that they've made into the conversation. The long pauses or silence that can happen during a conversation also reflects commitment because when we're quiet, it's because we're thinking. And so as we tell a lot of our clients, embrace the silence, don't interrupt it, because it is an indication that the other person sitting across from you, that prospect is thinking. I actually had that happen on a call right before we started recording for today. And I let him pause for a good while. And then I said, hey, can you tell me what's on your mind right now? And what did he share? He shared everything. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out how to make this work. And so we we dove into it. And it, it just gave me perspective into what was I'm gonna put you on the spot here, Kyle. Oh, okay. <laughs> when he said, I'm just trying to figure out how to make this work. Yep. What was your reaction? What did you do? I first said, let's talk through your alternatives because he's evaluating different sales coaches right now. He's decided that Lappin 180 is the best option for him, that we have exactly what he needs. He's a smart guy. Uh, yep. <laughs> but <laughs> so we, we dove into, I said, what, what other options could you consider right now? I really like that because my intuition tells me that you had one voice saying, okay, you got him. You got him. And then your other voice was saying, well, wait a minute, let's help him get clarity here. Let's help him truly evaluate and figure this out. And then there was probably conflict inside you, which was, I need to ask him, what are his other alternatives? And that's probably the high intent side. But my gut is the other side kicked in a little bit and probably said, are you crazy? Don't ask him that. Don't get him thinking about all the other trainings that he could choose. <laughs> I actually felt pretty good when I asked him, what other alternatives do you have? Because I wanted to know. I mean, if there was a better option out there for him, I would have told him. Because of all of his options, we are the highest price tag. And so I told myself, if I'm in his shoes, how am I going to make this decision? Kylie, I love the fact that you asked him what are his other options. I know how hard you work for your appointments. And I know how you network and and all that. So when you get these opportunities to talk to business owners, you put a lot of work into it. Like, how did you do that? How did you get yourself after earning that opportunity to speak with him? And he even said that Lapa 180 is the best option. At that moment, how did you still detach enough to be able to turn to him and say, well, hold on, let's talk about what other options that you have. How did you give yourself that kind of permission? I think it was just empathy. I really did just put myself in his shoes and I saw 
how much he was struggling and debating this decision and how much energy he was putting into making the best choice for him and his family. And I wanted him to make the best decision. And that may not be me. So let's come back to this idea like we started with today about relationships. He left that phone call with you. If someone asked him right now, what's the relationship with Kylie at Lapin 180 like? How do you think he'd define it? Well, he gave me feedback, so I guess I could tell you what he said. (laughs) In his words, he said, this has been really great. I can tell you're really trying to help me. And I appreciate everything that you've done for me so far. And I I just want to figure out a way to make it work. Do you think he feels like he's been sold to? No. Do you think, based on what he said, that your questions truly helped him go through some of the tough evaluation? Yes. See, for our listeners, that's what we're trying to help you hear today, is that the real value to a relationship that you bring isn't based on how you define it. It's based on how that prospect or client defines it, how they feel when they leave that conversation or meeting with you. And so relationships at the end of the day, like we started off with, are all about the experience that you create for that other human being. And the experience that you create from that other human being comes from the conversations that you have. And the most important part of the whole process is the conversations that you have come from your mindset. If you have a sales mindset, you're going to create a sales conversation, a sales experience, and a sales relationship. That's not going to drive change. If you have an advisor mindset, which is I'm here to learn, and I'm also here to help this prospect objectively debate and evaluate how they could get better, and if it's important, you're going to create a different type of conversation, you're going to create a different experience, and you will create a very different relationship with that prospect. What exactly is a sales relationship? I think in its simplest terms, and not one size fits all here, it's when the prospect reaches out to you or engages you only when they have an RFP. What they're saying to you is that they don't see any other value in spending time with you other than can you deliver the request for proposal and all the necessary information so they can take it back and they can measure and assess it against the other proposals that they've gotten. That's a sales relationship. Now, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but it's reality. A sales relationship is transactional. A sales relationship is only engaged when either you want or need something from the prospect, hence their business or making a sale, and the prospect knows it because of how you've handled the conversations and the experiences they've had up to that point with you. That's a sales relationship. The prospect knows that you're going to come in and try to persuade and convince them to do something different. Now it's time for our favorite segment, Change the Conversation. Dear Tommy, my name is Bob and I'm the senior VP of a function at Company X. I came across your name through our work and wanted to reach out. Company X makes videos without travel or the need to come on site to any location. Here are some examples of our award-winning work. Insert link. 
Regarding budgets, typically 10K is a good starting point, though we also work much higher budgets as well. Next step, just respond to this email and we will send you a calendar invite for a brief phone meeting scheduled five business days from now. Kind regards, Bob. I think my immediate response to that one, Kylie, is senior VP. Nobody cares. And it's just an insecure opening as if you're going to impress people so that they're going to read your email or make sure that they pay attention to it more. Again, nobody cares. I wouldn't, I don't read an email because it has a title at the front. The next thing I think that is awkward is the award-winning video part. That's just self-proclamation. That's like self-promotion. Nobody cares again. Well, you can pay any amount of money for the for the right price to get an award. That's true. So let's be honest, those are not objective. Most awards, unfortunately, are not objective. It goes to the highest bidder behind the scenes. I don't mind his price part. There's a better way you probably could have communicated that because at least he's getting it out there that, hey, listen, we're about 10 grand. I'll give him kudos for that. Doesn't want to waste his time. Doesn't want to waste somebody else's time. I think there's a better way you could have communicated it though. Will that work for all services or products or is it acceptable this time because it's more of a transactional type of product? I don't know. I mean, it's videos. There's usually strategy behind videos. So at least he's saying, hey, our our strategy and our expertise, you know, you're going to be in that 10K range minimum. So it's not hurting anything. No, I just, again, I felt like he could have been a little bit more genuine about it. It says most of our clients, the first program or the first project runs about 10K. It usually includes A, B, C, and D. If this is something you've looked at or you're considering looking at, maybe you should reach out and give us a call. We'd be happy to set up a time to chat with you and explore if we can help you or not. It'd have been something more like that. Well, and already just hearing you revise this outreach sounds a lot more laid back and inviting and less in your face. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. All right, we're going to start that one over. I'm going to be quick on it.